Thank you so much, Leslie. Today we're starting a new series called God Beyond Our Circumstances. And we, as a, as a team, given a lot of thought and prayer into hearing and discerning what God is saying to us at this time of change and transition and have a real sense of expectancy as we share with you what he has laid upon our hearts. Now, we all know the power of testimony, um, speaking out and sharing about God's activity in our lives. And in fact, the root word for testimony means witness. And scripture tells us that one of the weapons of spiritual warfare that is at our disposal is the word of our testimony, sharing with others and bearing witness to what God has done for us. And I was so privileged the other day to share lunch with a lovely lady from this church family. And the sole purpose of our lunch was for me to hear her story of what God had done in her life. Hearing real, authentic stories of other people's faith and the difference that Jesus makes to our lives. It's healing to our own souls. And it's such a rich encouragement to our own faith as well. And I left that lunch feeling that I'd received a gift from her in her words. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. And I heard, and I was richly blessed. And I really want to say that I believe we should be sharing our stories of faith with one another so much more than we actually do. And really want to encourage you to do that, to, to take some time to give someone else, a friend, or even someone you don't really know in this community, an opportunity for them to bear witness to what God has done in their lives, to have the honor of sitting opposite them and having them share their stories with you. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges about a man called Gideon. And we're going to take this whole month of February to share his story with you. And I'm just going to do the beginning part of the story today, and we'll take it from there. And we trust that you're going to be deeply challenged and encouraged in your own faith as you reflect on his story. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Judges chapter 6, but if not, it's going to be on the screen for you to follow. And I'm just going to take it verse by verse and commenting the whole way through. So we're not going to do the reading all at once. And so stay alert there. There's going to be a lot of chatting in between and sharing. Verse 1 says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And I'm going to stop right there just to clarify something. That Israel had been under the oppression of Midian for seven years for a reason. And the reason being that they turned their backs on God and done evil in his sight. I want you to keep this in mind as we continue reading this narrative. Verse 2 says, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So we see here that the power of Midian was so oppressive that Israel had been forced then into the mountains to make their dwellings in whatever caves they could find there. 
the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the others from the east, they would invade the country where Israel was and destroy the crops that Israel had planted. And as it mentions to you, they also felt nothing to destroy all the livestock as well. And so the imagery given of these Midianites sweeping in was like that of the swarm of locusts just coming over the land to ravage it, leaving this trail of destruction and devastation in their wake. These were people who were intent on Israel's destruction. They weren't just coming here to steal a little bit for themselves and, you know, take what they could and needed and off they would go. They ruined everything and they left nothing. And you can see why the Israelite people had to then seek out shelter and caves to protect themselves and what little food that they had. Verse 6 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And so it's from this place of devastation and destruction that the Israelites cry out to the Lord. Now, it took them long enough, seven years of really tough times to finally get their attention and for them to cry out to the Lord for help. Seven years. We can easily look at the Israelites as observers from the sidelines and, you know, shake our heads at their hard-heartedness, their stubbornness, and say, oh, seven years it took them to turn to God. But it's perhaps a bit harder to take a moment to look inward into our own lives because this trait of doing things our way and then only turning to God when things get really tough does seem to be a common trait with the human race. Can you relate to going through a difficult trial, knowing that you're in that trial because of your own mistakes, your own choices, or even your own sin? And I think if we're honest, many of us can. I'm not sure why it took so long for the Israelites to turn to God. Was it stubbornness? Was it the arrogance of self that kept them from coming before God? Or was it perhaps even a sense of shame? Perhaps they knew that they needed to cry out to God, but they were afraid to do so because of their sin. Why does it take us so long to turn back to God when we are in those same dark places? Because the longer we turn our backs on God, the more we prolong our misery. But finally, they do cry out to God. And verse 7 says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God responds by first sending a prophet to speak to them, and the message he brings them is one of rebuke. They're reminded of everything that God has done for them and accomplished for them. I rescued you. I delivered you. I gave you a new life. I gave you a new home. And what is the one thing that he asks of them? He says, because I am the only true God, the Lord your God, you not to worship the false gods of the Amorites. But despite everything I've done for you, you couldn't stay true to that. You didn't obey me. You did not listen to me. And that's a truth that God saw fit to really remind them of right then. 
And then following on from this prophet's visit, the angel of the Lord, in verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So here we introduce to the young man Gideon, a young Israelite man living in Ophrah during this period of great famine, oppression, and impoverishments. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Now, Gideon's family line, he belonged to the tribe of Manasseh, and his family was not a prominent family. And Gideon is the youngest in his family, and the picture we get of him here is of a scared young man who is hiding away from his enemies with not much hope in his heart. And the angel of the Lord appears to him while he's threshing wheat in a wine press. It is not the usual custom for how you thresh wheat. And it shows us then just how fearful Gideon was and just the fear that he was living under at this time. You know, wheat is typically threshed in open places, perhaps on a hilltop, so the breeze can then blow away the chaff. It was not normally threshed in a sunken pit like that wine press. But that's where the angel of the Lord finds him, secretly threshing wheat in a wine press. And verse 12 says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now that title given to Gideon, mighty warrior, it just doesn't line up with the man that we see here. I mean, this is a man who's trying to survive, who's fearful, he's nearly defeated, and I'm sure that greeting didn't even resonate with him. He perhaps even turned around to look behind himself to make sure the angel of the Lord was actually speaking to him and not to someone behind him. Now, have you ever felt like that, where God speaks words of life and truth and promise over you, but where you are so caught up in your circumstances and your human worldly perspective that you're just living in defeat and dejection? And sometimes, like Gideon, we also, we forget our identity in Christ, and we begin to believe the lies the enemy would have us believe about who we are. And maybe, just like Gideon, when God reminds us of his truth about us and his calling over our lives, we also want to reply like Gideon now does, which is deflect from what God might be speaking over our life and moan back at God about the circumstances we find ourselves in and everything that we are not. But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon says he's been told of all the wonderful things that God did in delivering Israel from Egypt, but he hasn't seen it. He doesn't know it. And that's exactly the issue the prophet actually reminded Israel of a few verses back. But either Gideon didn't hear that, or it only penetrated his heart, his head, and not his heart. And Gideon thought the problem was with God, not with him, not with the Israelite people as a whole. But the truth, and that's the truth that the prophet was trying to remind them of too, God did not forsake Israel. Israel had forsaken God. And is that not so often our story too? That we can turn our backs on God, sometimes not deliberately, but through a series of choices and steps that daily just turn us away until we're walking in the opposite direction 
of that which we should. And rather than confess our sins before the Lord and deal with our mistakes, we find it easier to just blame God, to lament our circumstances. But that's never the right or the easy approach with the Lord. And the lesson for us here is this, is that we need to listen to what God is saying to us in and through our circumstances in order for us to move beyond our circumstances. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God didn't call Midian a mighty warrior because he saw that character trait in him from the beginning. Gideon was called a mighty warrior because of who God is. Gideon could be a mighty warrior because of what God would do in his life. And God had plans to make Gideon this mighty warrior because God himself is the mighty warrior. And he called Gideon to deliver his people, but more importantly, he called Gideon to be different from what he was at the moment of his calling. Because in the mighty hands of God, Gideon could become this mighty warrior. What mighty calling from God are you struggling with right now? What arguments do you make with the Lord when he calls you to step out of your comfort zone, out of your wine press? Oh, God, I come from a really obscure family. I'm just not prominent enough to be used by you. Oh, no, Lord, I, you know, I'm the baby in the family. I'm really sorry, but wrong birth order to make any difference here. Oh, I'm just too insignificant. I just don't have the strength or the energy to do that. Oh, I couldn't possibly accomplish that or be that. I just don't have the education for that. I'm not accomplished enough. I'm not experienced enough. No matter where you find yourself or how defeated or weak or down you may feel, remember this truth too, that God has never forsaken you either. And 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. It's in our very weaknesses that God is strong. And it's often in our lack that he equips us to do exactly what he has called us to do. And it's because he is with us and the spirit is within us that we're able to rise up and be the mighty warriors that he's calling us to be. You know, when God tells us to go out in the strength we have, that's not an excuse just to crumple into a heap on the floor because we don't recognize that strength in ourselves. It's a reminder, in fact, that we are sent by God as his messengers into the world. And the strength that we draw from, it's his strength in us, not our own. It's his strength in us. And look at the promise Gideon is reminded of there. I will be with you. In fact, just be reminded too that that was the, 
the words of greeting that the angel of the Lord started with. The Lord is with you. So this conversation, it begins and ends with that amazing affirmation. And it's a truth that we need to be reminded of so often too. And then Gideon replied and said, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. And putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. And fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And now, in the next part of our narrative, God tells Gideon he's going to be used by the Lord to defeat all the Midianites, but he's given his first assignment now in this campaign. This is the first step of obedience that he is called to. Verse 25 says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole, that was the wooden symbol of the goddess Asherah, that is beside it, and build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, and using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer that second bull as a burnt offering. And so Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So Gideon is now given his very first clear instructions from the Lord. And he was really fearful of the repercussions of his obedience. I mean, he's even going about doing this at night when no one else would see him. But he still obeyed the Lord's command to tear down his father's altar. Now, I recognize we don't always get the privilege of having an angel of the Lord visit us and having fire-consuming offerings in front of us to know exactly what God might be saying to us. And there are times it's actually quite challenging to discern what the Lord's will is for us and what he's saying to us. But the point we take from this too is that when we get to the place of just knowing clearly what it is that God is saying to us personally, the step of obedience is what is so important. And Gideon, as we've seen here, he does obey, um, albeit a bit fearfully. And this is what happens. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole besides it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. God's first instruction to Gideon. Before Gideon was going to be used publicly, he had to first clean up his own backyard. His family was breaking the first and second commandments. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, and you shall not bow down to them and worship them. The altars, and particularly the altar to Baal, in Gideon's family home, they had to go. What is the challenge for you to think about today? If you want to learn to trust God, you have to first set your own house in order. Before God's able to use you mightily in the public spaces and in community, he's got to be glorified and worshipped in your own life, in your private spaces before him, in your own home. And private worship is what is necessary to prepare us for public power from God and being able to be used by him in a community space. And so the question then is, is there anything that you have been holding on to or any sin that you're clinging to that God might be prompting you to let go of? Are there any idols that you need to knock down in your life or in your home? And what do you need to lay down to put God first in your life at this time? And will this stir things up in your life when you are obedient, when God's clearly leads and guides you? It absolutely will. I mean, the people in Gideon's tribe, they reacted very aggressively. There was a huge uproar that followed his actions. They wanted to know not just who was responsible for this act, but they wanted his head. Verse 30 says, The people of the town demanded of Joash, Bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So let's remember here, this is Gideon's father, Joash's altar to Baal, and his Asherah pole that was destroyed. It was his prize bull that was used for the sacrifice on the newly built altar to the Lord. And so you would expect him, expect him to say, even though he was his father, people, you've taken the words out of my mouth. I mean, wait until I get my hands on my son. But he responds like this. Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. That's really significant for us to note the reaction of Gideon's father here. He doesn't even want to punish him in any way for what he has done. And it seems like there's been a drastic change in this man's life there. He, he seems to even recognize the senselessness of his own idolatry and the futileness of what he's been worshiping. And in response to his words, in fact, the people, they just back down and they just go their own way. So it seems that Gideon's act of obedience, even though he did it really from a place of fearfulness, it had the impact of affecting change in his own father. His act of obedience affected his father to the point where he began to see that Baal is actually no God at all. Now, might your steps of obedience to God and knocking down some idols in your life perhaps also have this positive impact on those in your family and in your friendship circles as well? You know, the depth of our personal obedience to God will determine the depth to which he can use us in community. And we might also be fearful of the effects of this obedience, 
but we just never know what God will do if we take him at his word and we obey him. And those steps of obedience can have far-reaching impact on his kingdom coming and his will being done on this earth. And so today we've just read about the beginning part of Gideon's story. But there's so many elements of it that can be our story too. And how can this part of his story encourage you today? There are just a few things that I think it has reminded us of. Number one, that the circumstances we find ourselves in, they are often due to our own actions and not God's inaction. I think that's a really important thing to recognize. Secondly, you're reminded that when we get caught up in our circumstances and our human, worldly perspective, when we take our eyes off the Lord, we find ourselves living in defeat and dejection. And thirdly, we recognize that God promises that he will always be with us, no matter what circumstances you might be going through right now. He is always with us in our circumstances. He promises he's never going to leave us. He will never forsake us. Fourthly, we need to listen to what God is saying to us in and through our circumstances in order for us to be able to move beyond our circumstances. Let's say that again. We need to listen to what God is saying to us in and through our circumstances in order for us to be able to move beyond our circumstances. And then fifthly, we are unfinished creations. God is so not finished with us yet. And only our creator actually knows our full potential. And I'm actually really encouraged by that truth. That God sees so much more than we do. Um, he's got the big picture in mind when we don't. But that, that lovely um, truth that, you know, I am a work in progress. And, and God is building something beautiful. And he knows what the end product that's going to look like. But we unfinished creations. And so that's why it's so important for us to, to be walking so closely with him. To get his perspective on all of that. Sixthly. Flowing from that God sees us not just as we are, but who we can be when we come under his lordship and then experience his power in his life. And then flowing from that too, number seven, is because God is with us, because his spirit is within us, that we are able to rise up and move beyond our circumstances. It's because he is with us that we are able to be all that we have been created to be and called to be. And number eight, when we rely on our own strength, we will never draw upon God's grace and nor be able to give him the glory for anything that is achieved. And that's so not how it's meant to be. It's not about us. It's all about him. Number nine, it is in our weaknesses that he is strong and often most glorified in those times when we feel at, at, at our weakest. And then number 10, before we can be publicly useful for the Lord, we need to be privately faithful. We've got to get our own personal relationships with the Lord right before we can be fully useful to those around us. And then 11, the worship of anything other than God is unacceptable. And number 12, and one that excites me so much, is that our acts of obedience 
can also change the lives of others around us. I don't think we can even begin to conceive of all the, the hugeness of God's plans behind sometimes the most simple step of obedience in our lives. And that's the thing I'm perhaps most excited about when I get to glory. I hope I actually that I, I get to see some of that bigger picture where how a small step of obedience in an individual's lives actually has the power to affect so much more change around them. You have no idea what your obedience can do in terms of transforming others. And so in closing, just to make this a little bit more personal, so it also doesn't just stay in your head, but perhaps can impact your heart at some level too, I just want to put seven questions up there for you to ponder um, in your own heart and soul and to think about. And there might be questions you might need to take with you and just process before the Lord. But the first one is, what circumstance do you find yourself in right now? What circumstance do you find yourself in right now? And then secondly, what is the nature of your relationship with the Lord right now? What is the nature of your relationship with the Lord right now? And then thirdly, what might God be saying to you in and through your present circumstances? Have you even asked him that question? God, what are you saying to me in and through this present circumstance that I'm experiencing? And number four, what are the lies that you've been holding on to? Lies such as I'm, I'm insignificant, I'm not good enough, I'm not acceptable, I am too weak. What are the lies that you're holding on to that you need to let go of in order to embrace God's truth over your life and God's plans for your life? Fifthly, are there any sins that you need to confess before the Lord? Sixthly, are there any idols that you need to knock down in your life or in your home? And then number seven, and I realize there are complexities to this with discerning what God is saying, but what is the next step of obedience that God is calling you to? And perhaps the challenge in that is, am I even listening and am I even asking that question? God, what is the next step of obedience that you are calling me to? If you look at the design graphic for our, our series here, God Beyond Our Circumstances, it's there on the screen now. I actually just love this design that Louise has created for us for the series because it's paints such a beautiful picture of the greatness of God um, in contrast to our smallness and also the color and the life that comes when we actually invite him into our stories. Because God is bigger and he is stronger than any of our circumstances. And no matter what hurdle or boulder might be lying in our path, the Lord of all is able to empower and equip us to be far more than we could imagine so that we can move forward clearing those boulders and then embracing, as I've said, just the, the color in life that, that is ahead there. 
I'm going to ask Nico and the team to come up and join us on stage. And there's, there was a song that was just playing over and over in my, my head this week, um, in the last two weeks as I've been preparing. And so I just feel it's really important and significant for us just to sing that as a declaration over us as we leave here today. And it's um, that's that song, God of Angel Armies. But the words of that are just so powerful and so beautiful. And as they come up and prepare there, I want us first, though, just to, to bow our heads and just take a moment or two of quiet, just to reflect on some of those challenges that have been made personal to you. And then I'm going to pray and then hand over to Nico for us to sing together um, that beautiful song, yes, a song of worship to the Lord, but also a song proclaiming that truth over each and every one of our own lives. But let's first pray. God, I want to thank you for everything that you have allowed into our lives, the good along with the hard things, which have reminded us how much we need you and rely on your presence filling us every single day. We pray for your Holy Spirit to lead us each step of our journey. And we ask that you turn our hearts to deeply desire you above all else. We ask for help to pursue you first, above every dream that you've put within our hearts. We pray that you would give us discernment and insight beyond our years to understand your will, to hear your voice, and to know your ways. We ask for your forgiveness for the many ways we've turned our backs on you and followed the desires of our own, often wounded hearts. We confess and own our own sins before you and pray for your forgiveness. We thank you for the richness of your grace and the fact that you are the God who is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ask for your wisdom, for your strength, and for your power to be constantly present within us. We pray that you would make us strong and courageous for the road ahead. Give us ability beyond what we feel able. Let your gifts flow freely through us so that you would be honored by our lives and others would be drawn to you. We pray that you would keep us far from the snares and traps of temptation, that you would whisper in our ear when we need to run, but also shout in our hearts when we need to stand our ground for you. May you be honored and glorified in and through our lives, we pray. Amen. Won't you please?